This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Lord, we are so grateful to gather with our family this morning, a family that you made, a family that you have sustained for thousands and thousands of years. This morning, we want to worship you, and we need to hear your gospel. Would you help our hearts to hear it and to believe again? And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in your name, amen. So one of the great things about living in Pittsburgh for us um, is that the house that we live in, you can walk to Highland Park, the park from and uh, that, that wasn't the case when we moved here. And last summer, we moved into this house. And we um, discovered this one day with great joy. And we walked up to Highland Park, and we walked up to the reservoir. I don't know if all of you have seen the reservoir. But it's a, it's a big body of water with a fence around it and usually things like basketballs floating in it. That's your drinking water, by the way. Um, so we walk up to the reservoir, which is actually really beautiful, and we realized we lived close enough to walk there, and so there was this jubilation from Jonathan and I, like, oh my gosh, we are here, we are so excited. And little Flannery, who was four at the time, saw how excited we were and said, is this the ocean? <laughs> which, I don't know if you've seen the reservoir, it doesn't look like the ocean at all in any way, except that there is water there. So um, today, we are talking about something revealed, and something revealed as less than. It's by seeing the real thing that the lesser thing is revealed as lesser. Famously, I think Mother, Mother Anne brought this up a few weeks ago, the way that people are trained to see counterfeit money is not to look at counterfeit money, but is to look at the real thing, to study it, to study every, every little millimeter of the real thing so that you can notice when something is counterfeit by meditating on the real. Flannery will be able to recognize the reservoir as the reservoir when she sees that it is not the ocean, right? And she's four, she was four, and she's cute. But what if there was a whole culture that had never seen the ocean? What if there was a whole people that thought the reservoir at Highland Park was the ocean? What if the whole world didn't know, didn't recognize the ocean? What if they had, no one had seen the real thing so they didn't know that there was something far more glorious and beautiful out there? What if Pittsburgh thought that was the real ocean and started giving pamphlets to people to come see the ocean? People would be disappointed. This morning, we continue our series on the minor prophets, and we're looking at the book of Amos. And the culture that Amos spoke 
to was one marked by affluence. It was a place where the rich were very rich and the poor were getting poorer and they were often exploited. It was a time when the culture was sexually indulgent, when they would sort of run after whatever their desires were, when it was, uh, it was an immoral culture. And there were people who practiced all kinds of sharp and sort of shady business practices that cut corners to make an extra buck. And it was a place where those in power used their power to get more power, to shore up their own wealth and privilege. Does this remind you of any culture that you know of? One commentator that I read said that Amos could be living in any major American city today. That many of the failures that we see in our own church and in our own culture were the very things that Amos saw, were the very things he was seeing. And Amos alone at the time saw the doom that was awaiting the people. He is predicting destruction and exile. It was the end of the world as they knew it. It was coming. And those who heard him thought everything was okay. They thought that they were okay. Because remember, these were, in fact, very religious people. They thought they were pretty righteous, grading on a curve. They thought they, they were pretty good people. These, after all, were God's chosen people that Amos was talking to. The biblical scholar J.A. Motyer says that the priest, Amaziah, here represents the attitude of the people. This speaks for the whole people, and this is his description. He says he was establishment-minded, careful for the ecclesiastical proprieties, but supremely disinterested in any word from God. And so into this culture of prosperity and religiousness comes this vision of the Lord standing beside a wall built with a plumb line or built true to plumb. And he has a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to Amos, what do you see, Amos? And Amos said, a plumb line. And the Lord said, see, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people, Israel. So, okay, I assume that most of you know what a plumb line is, but I had no idea. So I'm going to tell you, just in case you don't know, a plumb line, which today is better known as a plumb bob, is a weight that hangs on a vertical line so that it shows if a wall is truly straight and vertical. So what a level does to a horizontal plane, a plumb line does to a vertical plane. I tried to bring one in for you, but they're almost all digital now, so it's not as cool. So um, a plumb line makes sure that your wall isn't leaning backwards or forwards, that it's straight up and down. So this wall that Amos sees is perfect. It's true to plumb. It's standing straight. And God, the Lord, is holding a plumb line. Do you see what this means? A plumb line is an objective standard. 
A carpenter can boast of his carpentry skills. He can say he has over 40 years of experience in wall building. He can swear up and down that he has built a wall that is straight and true to plumb. But we won't know it. We won't know if that claim is true unless you test it with a plumb line. Amos sees that God is coming to test his people. He is holding up the plumb line as an objective standard of truth. It's God's divine standard against which God, the builder of his people, tests them and judges them. What is the plumb line for the people? What does this symbolize? So, a few things. First, the law is the plumb line. The law is the standard of righteousness that the people are judged by. A hero of mine, the late late Jack Miller, who was a Presbyterian pastor, said that when he started to think too highly of himself and his own righteousness and his religious faith, he'd repent of his righteousness by reading the book of Leviticus. He'd look at the law to see how broken he was, how much he needed grace. Leviticus 19.2 says, You shall be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. It calls us to this objective standard. And my friend Hunter, who was good friends with Jack, would say that Jack would read Leviticus or the Sermon on the Mount, by the way, does the same thing, in order to let the law hammer him, that was his words, hammer him so that the gospel would emerge and win his heart again. The character of God was revealed in the law, and the people were to keep the law, to witness to the character of God. This was to be an alternative people on earth, a different sort of community that showed what God was like, what his character was like. But were they? No, they did not keep the law. They made life harder for the poor. They pursued wealth. Instead of justice, they worshipped their own way. They did not keep the law. And ultimately, the law itself is not the ultimate plumb line. The law is not some sort of arbitrary list of rules, like an arbitrary test that the people have to obey or live up to. The, the law reflects the very character of God. The wall built to plumb and the plumb line was the Lord's redemptive work. It is on God's actions and character that the law stands. The way God primarily defines himself in the Old Testament, when he names himself, he does not primarily call himself the Lord who has given you the law. Instead, he says, I am the Lord who has brought you out of Egypt. In fact, when the Lord gives the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, he does not begin by saying, okay, listen up, here are the rules to keep. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He begins by identifying his character, his redemptive work among his people. And out of that, he gives the law. 
Matyer says, in chronological order, it is because he was first their redeemer through the blood of the Passover lamb that he became their lawgiver, commanding the law as the proper pattern of life for those whom redemption had brought near to God. Love issues and redemption and ushers in a life of obedience to the commandments. So why does this matter? It matters because the plumb line here is not an arbitrary set of rules given by a tyrant. It is the very character of God and his redemptive work among the people. God is testing his people to see if they are upright, if they are righteous. As righteous, remember, as they think they are, because they think they are righteous. And he says, no, you're not righteous. But he doesn't judge them arbitrarily or as just a way to kind of be mean or to go on a power trip. It is love that ushers in a life of obedience. Why? Because he wants the people who are fully alive, who are flourishing, who are just, who know him and walk with him. It would be cruel to let them settle for a false for a crooked righteousness. God is saying, look at my character in all its glory, in all its redemption and righteousness, and it will reveal your false righteousness. He is the plumb line. His character is the plumb line. This vision of the plumb line is not intended only to condemn, to show them that their wall is crooked, It's to show us what a wall is supposed to look like, what a wall is supposed to be. We look at God's character to see what we are supposed to be like. And people and we did not live up to it. These are God's covenant people. They were full of religious ritual, but they did not reflect the faithful character of God. And so judgment is coming on the people. Amos is told the high places of Isaac will be destroyed and the sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined and and with my sword I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. God is bringing judgment here on both the church and the state. They didn't have those concepts, but what the equivalent of what we would know as the church and state here. He's condemning their false righteousness, their false religiosity, their false power, their immorality. He promises in the next few verses, we didn't read this this morning, but if you go on, he says, your wife will become a prostitute in the city and your sons and daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be measured and divided up and you yourself will die in a pagan country and Israel will surely go into exile away from their native land. This is very bad news. This is bad news for the people of Israel. God is bringing them bad news because he will not let them settle for living with a crooked wall. He will not let them go on in false righteousness. I called my friend Randy this week. Randy uh, Woods, is a, he's a builder and a contractor, and I know nothing about this if we, as we've established. So I called him up to ask him some questions about, about walls and about plumb lines. 
And I asked um, if a wall is, is crooked, if it's not built to plumb, if it's leaning one way or another, can it be fixed? And he said that today, now, recently, with modern technology, you can drill into the wall and, and do something with titanium rods that I, I didn't totally understand, and you can pull the wall back straight. But then he paused, and he said, but if you really want a wall to be totally plumb, to be totally straight, the only real way to get there is to tear it down and build it again. God insists that his people represent his character perfectly. This is key, and it is for their own good. He would not let them settle for less. So he tore the wall to the studs in exile, and he rebuilt it again. Has God ever torn you to the studs? Have you ever felt that? It is not to condemn you. It's out of love to rebuild you. He will not let you settle for less. When God shows us our sin, when God shows us in the church our own false righteousness, it's because he loves us. As soon as we leave church today, after the 11 o'clock service, my family will get in a car and we will drive to Jekyll Island, Georgia. Hallelujah. And I I will take little Flannery and I will show her the Atlantic Ocean in all its giant glory and beauty. And she will know that the Highland Park Reservoir is not the ocean because she will see the real thing. It is out of love that I want my daughter to see the ocean. It would be sad if she spent her whole life thinking that the reservoir was the ocean. I will not let her settle for that. And God loves his people, so he brought a plumb line and tore down the crooked wall. He judged his people, but he also loves them. And he preserved them through exile. And still, even still, God's people never could make the wall straight themselves. They never could keep the law. So out of those people preserved through exile came Jesus. And Jesus kept the law. Jesus, in Matthew 5, 17, says, Don't think that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not, I have not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Do you see? Jesus is the plumb line. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us that the law is more than we thought. It's not just don't commit adultery. It's don't have a lustful thought about anyone. It's not just don't murder, but it's don't be angry. Don't be filled with rage. And then he brings out this holy plumb line. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's your options this morning. Be perfectly plumb or face judgment. Or cling to Jesus as our sacrifice. 
as the wall that you could not be. Jesus perfectly embodied the character of God as a human. He kept the law as a human. And he came as God to be the plumb line, to judge the people's uprightness or lack thereof. And we all failed. Our, our wall was not true to plumb. So Jesus, God himself, took the judgment. He was the wall that was torn down to the studs. He was the wall that was built to plumb that we destroyed and tore down to rubble. So this morning, the plumb line can bring your judgment or Jesus, the plumb line, the incarnate perfection of God, the law keeper, can be your savior, can be your redeemer. Charles Spurgeon preached on this passage, and I love Spurgeon. Um, and so I read his, his sermon on this, and I'm going to quote it. This is a long quote, but I think it's good. So he does, Spurgeon is describing us here. He says, here's another wall built by a man who says that he is doing his best and trusting to Christ to make up for his deficiencies. Well, my dear friend, your wall is sadly out of the perpendicular because there is a text which says Christ is all. And I know that the Lord Jesus Christ will never be willing to be put side by side with such a poor creature as you are, to be jointly used with yourself to your soul's salvation. Remember that in the gospel plan, it is not Christ and co or Christ and company. It must be all Christ or no Christ at all. So if you are depending partly upon yourself and partly upon him, my plumb line shows that your wall is out of the perpendicular and it will have to come down. This morning, cling wholly and completely to Christ. He is the judge and the wall built to plumb. Jesus became the ultimate and perpetual sacrifice for the sins of the world. The ways that the people in Amos were out of plumb could not be covered by temple sacrifices. But they can be forgiven, and they can be redeemed in Christ alone. Christ, the holy plumb line, the perfect wall, the one who was torn down, but now is raised again and will remain raised again, true to plumb, the judge and the redeemer forever. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.